0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Welcome to another episode of Chats in Linguistic Diversity. My name is Ingrid Piller and I'm Distinguished Professor of Applied Linguistics at Macquarie University. My guest today is Professor Adam Jaworski from the University of Hong Kong. Welcome to the show, Adam.
0: Thank you so much uh ingrid it, it, it's really great to be here and uh, a, a pleasure thank you
1: adam can you start us off by telling our listeners a bit about yourself um your career trajectory and your research
0: sure thank you um, um, um i started in Poland at the University of Adam Mickiewicz in, in Poznań. I was an undergraduate in English philology, uh, doing a little bit of language and literature, culture, um, sort of area studies, and uh, um, and uh, you know, after all the sort of introductory courses in phonetics, grammar, uh, including. Chomsky's syntax which was not really something that I enjoyed uh, very much um, uh, I I um came across sociolinguistics uh, I I took a course of sort of basic concepts and uh, uh eventually uh, when I was uh, uh, a postgraduate student and uh, managed to well found a, uh, a I went um on to um non degree kind of um, uh, fellowships uh at the univ- in, in the in the United States I uh did some more work um, around um, methods in sociolinguistics and um yeah that that um, sort of set me up um, and I started exploring different topics uh Maybe too many in, in some ways, because I've, I've never really developed uh, one major um, uh, area of expertise. Uh, my my uh, PhD was uh, in the area of um, the sexist language in Polish and English, uh, um, looking at the relationship between grammatical gender and Mm, biological sex, um, male uh, language bias in uh, in language, um, gender stereotyping, representation of gender in uh, uh, and gender roles in textbooks. So I, I, I probably uh, uh, thought that that was um, a, a good uh, topic for sort of. Um, Um, writing and researching of um, political aspects of language and society um, back in the communist times in in Poland. Uh, I I think it was in the early 1980s. And um, I suppose that um, uh, Poland was not quite ready for the kind of um uh, radical uh, work on uh, language and gender at the time i, I, I was very pleased to see uh, that this was picked up later uh, by other uh, scholars um after i had left poland but uh, yeah but that was my my start then i looked at some um uh, aspects of ethnographically related Uh, work on um, uh, the pragmatics of speech acts, uh, apologies, compliments, greetings, and other forms of formulaic language. So that was partly inspired by my uh, sense of some pedagogical duty, and um, um, especially in the case of um, educating students, Polish students about the sort of pragmatics of um, of um, English um, speech acts. Um, and then I, I chose to to write my uh, postdoctoral uh, mm, um, uh, piece um, or, as what we would what we would call habilitation back in Poland or in Germany, uh, I decided to write about uh, silence as a trope um, uh, of communication um, in language and other modalities, and that <coughs> stayed with me for quite some time uh, when I, I explored it in in uh, in other. Uh, contexts. And just to finish off this uh, uh, overly long list, I've I've been um, doing some work, sort of traditional CDA type of work um, in media language and political discourse. Um, I've done some work um, in the framework of uh, interactional sociolinguistics. on friend, friendship groups, mostly about uh, looking at uh, the uh, kind of chit chat among uh, undergraduate students um, in time out talk. And um, yeah, I suppose um, uh, and then the the major part of my of my um, work, um, mostly in collaboration with Crispin Thurlow was about language and tourism. So that's been kind of, um,
1: yeah, and that's what uh, I want to talk with you about so, um, you know, Wanted to talk about language on the language on the move, actually. Right. <laughs> but specifically your research is sort of in language and mobility, and um, that's obviously a research interest we both share. Um, one thing you've already mentioned tourism and one thing that's really quite unique about your research in this space now language and mobility is a very popular research topic um, at the moment or has been for probably a decade now one or your research stands out with its focus on um elite mobility is tourism, as you say. And so I was wondering whether you could talk us through your approach to language and mobility, um, mobility as consumption, and your focus on elites.
0: Yes, thank you. Um, um, yes, it, 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 I, I suppose that um, I kind of fell into the the the, the topic of tourism, um, uh, at, at some point, um, just because I didn't, pro- there was probably not so much uh, work in social linguistics or discourse analysis uh, in that area. And um, I, um, I, I I then discovered that there was a huge amount of work on tourism in other areas such as sociology and anthropology and um, uh, even um, a, a an area of study or um, discipline called tourism or tourism studies or uh, critical discourse uh, uh, or tourism studies on uh, also geography which is uh, which was a very um, in important aspect of um, what I uh, uh, drew on uh, at the time. Uh, so Christian um, uh, and I have uh, uh, kind of tried to to find a way to talk about tourism in the context of social linguistics. And it is true that uh, uh, we probably uh, stumbled on this idea of looking at um um elite mobility partly because sociolinguistics at the time um uh, and to some extent today had always concentrated on um uh, social groups and individuals um who had been um one way or another marginalized or disenfranchised or uh, oppressed um all for for good reason, uh, but I, I think at some point we we found uh, a quote from Mary Douglas that we used as an epigram in in one of the um, our our papers, uh, which uh, resonated with us greatly. And uh, you know it, it went uh, something like, "Unless we know why people need." Luxuries and how they use them, we are nowhere near taking the problem of inequality seriously. And um, so I'm sort of mentioning here luxury as a kind of uh, um, a, a, as a lens which we have also used to um, uh, talk about um, sort of high end. Um, mobility and t- tourism, because um, um, the consump- consumption consumption of uh, um, um, these tourist contexts is steeped in um, cons- uh, con- uh, cons- consumption of uh, luxury goods and uh, and um, vast amounts of uh, service. Uh, provided by relatively low-paid workers, um, and um, um, and service as, and, and this is also something that that you have looked at uh, in, in your work, the you know, um, idea of emotional labor and providing service as a. Um, as a, a, a manifestation of status and um, and, and class, so um, yeah, so so there was a, a whole raft of of issues. Some of it were concentrated concentrated on more uh, linguistic kind of questions in terms of what is it that tourism. To tourists and locals talk about. Do they actually talk about anything? And um, and I, I suppose that what 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 I realized uh, early on was that um, the 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 register of of talk in tourism is um, is very specific. It's very um, um, limited in, in some ways. But form for, for, for follows um, um, very rigid patterns of formulaic, scripted, high-performance frame um, uh, ex- exchanges. Um, most of the, um, as we found it, uh, most exchanges are. Uh, Led by commodified kind of exchanges, uh, service encounters. So, um, so I, I think we kind of identified a number of um, genres, which um, in some ways um, uh, sprang out. Uh, as a a discursive and semiotic industry around global mobility and and tourism to service uh, uh, the the class of tourists um, in their uh, consumption of places and people. And um, 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 so so the analysis of these genres was uh, was part of of what we started to uh, um, to analyze. Uh,
1: yeah, and I think I mean that's probably one of the really fascinating aspects of your research and the innovative aspect. All those um, genres. There is often this um, I guess facile assumption that um, English is the language of globalization and English is the premier language of mobility and there certainly is a lot of english in um, your data but at the same time it's a special kind of english and you've really trained um the aspect of our attention to genres and away from code towards bits and pieces of text and um Bits and pieces of linguistic objects, and I'm just curious. Maybe you could actually tell us a bit more about concrete examples of um, what you mean when you talk about genres and the kinds of objects or linguistic objects on the move that you've looked at in your research.
0: Yeah, that's um, that's great. Yes, Um, I think um, what we have come to. Look, look at and 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 analyze was what we uh, came to call um, and this terms became used by other uh, researchers in different contexts. but uh, we, we thought about this as a, a ling- ling- um, as a scape of tourism. Um, and that was something that you and I, also wrote about in the context of how um um switzerland um, um is linguist linguiscaped in the media in terms of um displays uh, and, and and representations and uh and meta discourses of different languages and multilingualism in 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 the country, so uh, a lot of um, t- tourist texts in um, in in tra- travel tra- travelogues and uh, uh, um, 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 newspaper stories that talk about romance as exotic lingua scape um, about. Uh, other major languages in Switzerland as dominant uh, multilingualism, and then English provides what we called safe, safe linguascape. scape. Uh, so, so um, dis- destinations, countries uh, are ca- characterised characterised by different um, ideologies of language. Languages and multilingualism, uh, which uh, play out in different ways depending on 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 the location, but um, we yes yeah, so, so uh, we have not really used uh, the term multilingualism as a as a as an as our entry point in our uh, research, uh, which may be surprising. <laughs> To, to you and your listeners. But um and, and yes, it is it is true that we mostly concentrated at, at well on, on on genres, styles and discourses um, through English, but um, there were there, there was a need from what from time to time to actually um we, we were not able to ignore multilingualism, uh, but multilingualism manifested itself uh, in, in very interesting, specific ways. For example, when we realized that mostly monolingual tourists, uh, English monolingual tourists, will use lo- local languages for uh, to consume places and and local people, uh, for example, through the act of code crossing and um, there would be a lot of symbolic play or um, 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 uh, 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 consuming languages as if they uh, they were part of the um, of the um, local culture offered on display and for consumption of tourists, mm-hmm. pretty much like if you go to Me- Me- Mexico and you buy a sombrero that you're wearing at, 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 at night mm-hmm. for a fiesta or something like this, mm-hmm. or when women have their hair braided in the Gambia. So these moments of um, um, clothes, a- accessory accessories, or linguistic snippets cons- cons- are consumed by tourists at the, as part of the embodied performances of otherness or uh, exotic And um, so we were quite interested in in emphasising or discovering the the linguistic aspects of tourism, partly because other tourist scholars considered language as a very marginal kind of... uh, uh, Semiotic resource um, in 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 tourism. and um, and I think by mobilizing some of the sociolinguistic uh, approaches and theory in, into into that area of social life, um, hopefully we 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 were able to to talk about some some uh, other uh, ways of um, of uh, how. Tourism is structured around the world. So, other examples of um, of linguistic um, um, uh, manifestation of tourist performances um, are um, uh, um, can be identified in the way places destinations are spatialized with language, for example, by uh, uh, specific tourist signs, such as um, welcome signs, which perform a very important, um, ubiquitous, you could say, um, uh, function of welcoming tourists to a destination, repeating that speech act almost throughout the whole time of someone's visit, um, using local and also world languages in order to style these destinations um, uh, by displaying place names in the local languages, but also um, uh, displaying internationalism or cosmopolitanism, of these places by using um, um, b- 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 bilingual uh, displays of of the greeting itself, of the phrase "phrase welcome." Um, but there is also uh, a, a lot of interesting um, work that uh, we um, uh, we got to realize that these. Um, or multimodal um, um, signs um, pay or attention to the way um, pop fonts can um, uh, style places. Um, multimodal imagery is added to the place names um, in the form of emblematic I- images of, of place. Uh, materiality of these uh, w- of these signs um, signals to visitors whether the destination or attraction uh, is meant to be upmarket or expensive, posh, mm. or or whether it's affordable, affordable and egalitarian. So um, there is. A, 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 a lot of um, information that you can glean from from um, uh, fairly um, yeah mundane and ubiquitous and kind of, um, uh, uh, language objects, as uh, I, I would like to call them, and, and in um, many
1: ways, I think that has made your research so fascinating that you've actually been able to pick precisely those mundane objects or linguistic objects that many people would overlook you know just another welcome sign or just another you are now in bloody blah sign and so um that's that's really been quite fascinating about your research and another area where you've also picked something that is incredibly mundane and turned it into um a number of really insightful um, observations and analyses or interpretations related to language and mobility is something that you've called globalese. And um, I was wondering whether you could tell our listeners what you mean by globalese and how that relates um, both to some of the concepts you've just mentioned, like tourism, cosmopolitanism, commodification.
0: Yeah, thank you yes i i i think it, it this work comes from uh my um, fascination with the uh visuality of language and uh, uh um, so i think quite gradually i have shifted my attention from uh speech to writing And uh, displayed language or or semiotics, and um, uh, I I must say it is uh, uh, one of my uh, favorite pastimes: is walking around cities and um, and taking uh, photographs of uh, of signs or um, all kinds of different um, um, semiotic displays. And um, not always knowing exactly why I'm taking pictures, uh, but at some point uh, I realized that I had quite a collection of um, photographs of signs or logos or um, slogans or, or other Type of objects which made use of uh, what I felt were unusual uses of punctuation, also diacritics or foreign quote-out quote-and quote-and quote uh, foreign letters, uh, numbers, mathematical symbols, and uh, forms like that, and I realized that um, many different um, uh, languages, when they are used for mostly commercial and cultural reasons, in displayed in displays of, uh, of commercial. Or cultural um, contexts, uh, they um, draw on ethno-national languages in a in a way uh, that it, it seems to be aiming uh, to um, adapt them and index um, 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 ideologies which. Shift away from ethno-national ones. So um, maybe if um, brands or products or um, groups of people want to be seen as co- cosmopolitan, or, or when they want to express the idea that they are part of a of a world uh, to to be conceived as a single place, or or, um globalization or transnationalism they will well l- let me say the, uh use the word play with uh familiar um forms of writing in a way that will exoticize them that will con- convey the idea of globalization and um and I think that there are uh, degrees of uniformity in, in, in these uh, uh, stylized uses of, of language, which uh, always build on local languages, and, um, but um, 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 depend on, uh, on signifiers of what Target audiences uh, I, I understand or are likely to in, interpret as foreign, exotic, or global.
1: Yeah, and um I guess that brings us to another question. Like, I mean, many of these um commercial signs, the brand names, as you say, that sort of Mix languages, or it's not even a mixing, as you point out, but sort of index another space, another linguistic realm, or another ethno national realm. Um, these indexes. Um, mm-hmm are quite artful in many ways. And um, another of your interests relates to language and art. So let's maybe transition to language and art by by letting me ask you all those um, signs that we see in the malls and that you call globalese, are they art?
0: Yes, well, uh, that, that, I, I, that's a wonderful question, I must say, partly because um, it, it is true that, um, Language and art is the area that is closest to my heart at, at the moment. Uh, it has always been there, but I, I, I think um, other projects, topics, and collaborations have, um, um, yeah, that distracted me a little bit too, uh, from from doing doing work um, in this area, but. Yeah, I, I, I must say I'm, I'm quite drawn to these uh, um, types of data, uh, which I call language objects, which are um, uh, written um, multimodal uh, um, uh, uses and displays of language, which are mostly uh, uh, produced for symbolic or decorative purposes uh also artistic. Um, so these are the kinds of um, uses of language that, uh, and functions that I, uh, Roman Jakobson would call, uh, that they fulfill the poetic function, yeah? Mm-hmm. And that goes back in time quite uh, a lot when you think about the uh, sort of, um, um, 16th century um, cross-stitched samplers um, in Europe. And there were earlier examples in other parts of the world, Um, but well, uh, let me just stick to to Europe for for the time being. So so these were um, um, sort of vernacular um, um, grassroots practices. Uh, which depended on s- cross stitching to make alphabetic floral or bi- biblical scenes of um, also non-representational or abstract of uh, um, uh, uh, images made uh, uh, with le- letters. and uh, they were used to uh, for, for co- home decoration when you think about, the past, okay? We we are so used to living with images, but back in the 16th century and later, images were very rare. They were only, they were a prerogative of rich people. And um, um, so, so, uh, 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 images were to be found in churches. Where you know people w- worshipped, and uh, uh, in the in the context of these sort of spectacles of of um, uh, religious imagery, for example. But anyway, so um, cross-stitched samplers were an early form of what I'm interested in. Today, we find lots and lots of of um, popular cultural artifacts. Which, um, which come uh, from this tradition. Um, as, as you probably know, um, uh, uh, one of my uh, case studies is the work by the American pop artist, Robert Indiana and his famous, we could say iconic image of the word love with the The um, the slightly um, uh, slanted O, um, 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 and uh, there are many other um, um, objects um, which use words um, um, as as the primary material. It's not just love, although love is probably most ubiquitous um in commerce and popular culture but also words like peace dream relax you can buy a lot of uh, these objects in all kind of novelty shops um, to to display on your mantelpiece or on the wall of your r- living room uh, but also Blessings and prayers, which were more common uh, in the past, probably, or were the dominant ones in the the past. All kinds of fridge magnets, which include um, um, fridge poetry, um, (laughs) or other kind of uh, phrases like don't worry, be happy. Um, all kinds of motivi- motivational quotes that people display on on t-shirts and other uh, other clothes that they or accessories that they that they wear. So yes, I, I think a lot of co- co- popular culture today is so linguistic and visually linguistic, and I think it does uh, go back to um, art and design. Um, I, my, my main point of reference, uh, uh, is, uh, the beginning of modern art in Europe. Uh, there's surely a huge, uh, tradition of, uh, writing calligraphy in, in other cultures. Um, uh, the, the tradition of literati paintings in, in China. There is, uh, Arabic uh, and Persian uh, calligraphy. Uh, I'm afraid I I don't know uh, the the relevant languages and so much about them to to be uh, knowledgeable about them and to to write about them. But there are very fascinating um, um, uh, examples of contemporary art, um, from China, Iran, and also, obviously, uh, Europe, which go back to to some of these traditions. And uh, and I can sort of um, uh, make sense of them enough uh, for me to actually look at uh, the the text-based art in terms of uh, uh, the creativity, materiality, uh, and also language ideologies, which de- underpin um, the, the, the experiments and the, um, mm, uh, the creativity of, uh, of text-based artists. So um, um, I think there are some interesting lessons for us as sociolinguists to, to draw um, from the way artists have used language so that we maybe uh, can um, explore it as a material uh, and symbolic re- resource um, in what, well, let's call it, in everyday life. Uh, but there is a lot of uh, long-term activism in conceptual art which which now uh, also well, activism is is becoming a, 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 a very important aspect of so sociolinguistic work, work. um and and I, I think there are some uh, parallels to be to be drawn uh, by looking at the um um, um Tradition of using language and text and writing in art um, and um, and um, social life as um, theorized by sociolinguists. So this is currently mostly what I'm interested in, and um, 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 yeah, I. I, 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 I can talk about this a bit more, but I'm not sure. I, I don't do hog the floor. The to- <laughs> well,
1: Let know. me give you an example that I'm quite curious about. Um, you know, you've been to- I mean, part of your work has been, or your work has been part of, um, the multimodality movement and linguistics that linguistics has really gone beyond the logocentrism, if you will, of, um, earlier times, and we are now interested in how language is emplaced in the world, visual aspects of language and and the whole multimodality movement. At the same time, um, some of the things that you've been talking about in um, language art and in commodified language art really seem to be going the other way. And I'm particularly thinking of um, an example I saw recently, it's now um, January, so Um, uh, Christmas is not so long in the past. And in one of the malls that I visited just before Christmas, there was a huge Christmas tree, except the Christmas tree was not a tree. It wasn't even an imitation of a tree, but it was um, actually the, the the parts of the tree, if you will, the, the stems and, and, and everything, it was made out of words. And the words were precisely those words that you mentioned earlier, love, peace, joy, And um, it seems like we're coming full circle and in art or in, in the commodification of certain arts, actually going back to a logocentrism and making the word central and taking away all those other symbolic meanings that the Christmas tree used to have. And so... What's your take on that? A secular population in Australia, where actually it's summer when there is Christmas, and so no need to bring in tr- trees into the home.
0: That's right. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a, a very pertinent uh, observation. Um, um, and um, I think there is a, uh, <laughs> to, to use a, a probably a rather tired and maybe um, not useful uh, expression. In some ways, there is a linguistic turn in um, uh, commerce, art, and culture. Um, But uh, what I mean by this specifically is that indeed language or writing to be more specific, it has been used extensively in the past two or three decades, if not earlier, but probably the last 30 years or so, uh, as a as a as a very important metonymic resource for um, uh, of representation and stylization of. Uh, of uh, space and um, uh, uh, human activities more broadly and um, I think that uh, uh, that goes back to the uh, economic changes uh, related to globalization um, that there's no Uh, way we cannot mention Monica Heller's work in this context who I think was the first one to to draw uh, sociolinguists uh, attention to the changes, cultural changes and linguistic changes um, 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 affected by the shift of um advanced uh, economies from um, um uh, manufacturing to what we may want to call information economy, where language became the the object uh, and uh, the product and the medium of of, of work and um I, I think that um a lot of If um, developments in in art predated uh, these shifts, Um, I I think artists realized the potential of language in in, um, uh, um, the the, the symbolic and material value of language before um, uh, marketers and um, 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 big, uh, big business and, and companies. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I, think what we see today is, uh, to, to a great extent, the, um, the, um, experiments with language from cubism, futurism, Dada, and all the avant-garde, um, European and North American, uh, up until about 1950s. Then uh, there was this the explosion of uh, con- conceptual art. Um, um, and the middle uh, of the of the of the sec- of, of the 20th century was a probably a pivotal period uh, for conceptual art to to take hold um, um, and and to develop um, um, globally because it was not just Europe and North America. Uh, There's Japan, South Korea, Latin America, um, Eastern Europe, um, all kinds of places uh, were experimenting with with language performance happening um, all kinds of process based art and um, and uh, um, yeah so so um, uh, so I, I think a, a, a lot of um, roots in popular culture and uh, the ubiquity of of the visuality of language around us uh, comes from from that uh, period, and uh, I, I think that is something that I would like to probably explore a bit more, partly as a kind of um, as a way of historicizing what we are dealing with today in the. In what we could call the uh, semiotic landscape of, of our cities, and um, 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 but also, um, you know, I, I think um, to you know to say something about maybe some of the, um, the semiotic aspects of uh, of the, the use of language in the case of emplacement. Uh, Um, materiality and um, different stances that uh, we are capable of of, um, 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 relating through uh, the visuality of language in public spaces.
1: Yeah, I think that's actually a wonderful closing word to um, point out how how deeply embedded language and linguistic research is in the social, and that we can't actually understand one without the other, and that that is our continued effort and mission. Thank you so much for your time, Adam. It's been a wonderfully informative conversation. Um, before I let you go, what's next for you in terms of your research and trajectory?
0: Uh, thank you so much for uh, for, for that, and um, and yes, I I I think the uh, the the current and my well future uh, immediate. Uh, future work is is very much related to the topics that that we have just talked about uh, a moment ago. Uh, so it, it is related to language and art or text-based art, um, visuality of language yeah. in language objects. But you know the specific lens that I think I want to employ in theorizing uh, these, these issues is the, uh, the term uh, spectacle or uh, spectacular language. And um, I, I think uh, this is a kind of a shift away from maybe uh, a lot of research in sociolinguistics and related disciplines, which have considered Maybe the centrality of of narrative uh, uh, in language or narratives and stories, but I I think there may be uh, some space for uh, theorizing spectacle uh, as a kind of as a break from the narrative and. yeah, so, so that's probably the working title of my current project as I would like to think of it is um, uh, Spectacular Language, I think. Well,
1: that's... I can't wait to see that So um, <laughs> or read it. Good luck with it. And um, next time we'll talk about Spectacular Language.
0: Thank you, Ingrid. Thank you so much, Adam.